This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Hate to say I told you so, but Man United are on an inevitable march to the WSL title. We'll be providing a special today, which is basically 45 minutes of Chloe Morgan only. I won't be throwing to any guests or Rachel um, because I just want to talk about how amazing that was. Thank you. It was great um, to be here. Goodbye. <laughs> if you've been living under a rock, they beat Arsenal at the Emirates this weekend in an incredibly manic nail-biting game. We're here to talk about all the fallout from that cracking game. Welcome Emma Hayes back to the dugout and we look ahead to the return of the Champions League this week. Joining us today and what time in this is, Tim Stillman. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's a freelance journalist and broadcaster. It's Tim. It's- We've just got Tim. It's like Madonna or Prince. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just that one. <laughs> Um, Tim, how you feeling? Big week. Yeah, a big week. Um, yeah, I feel like this this could be therapy for me more than anything, to be honest with you. A cathartic experience. Exactly, I don't know. You yes. haven't heard her talk yet about Man United. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you just want to get straight, you know, stuck into things. Because, um, I mean, I don't know if you can hear it from my voice, but I've got a purely Cheshire cat type <laughs> smile on my face. Yeah, no intro. No, how are you? How was your week? She's sitting there buzzing, desperate to get going. Oh, yeah, Look go on, her. go on, Rach. Yeah, how was no, your week? Matter, yeah, what did you get now. up to? It doesn't like, matter it, now. I can, I can just feel you palpitating. No, like, no, go, no, tell us something vibrating about next your... Was your Saturday or something um, yeah any kind of anecdotes that you have well, Saturday I was at the Emirates wasn't I shall we go there <laughs> was it was it actually your ne- what no 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 no. surely not let's not talk about your stolen bike and let's crack on with the game um, I think I do need to just touch briefly on the stolen bike for anyone listening I had a Santander bike stolen and the thief redocked it and so I only got charged £50 so <laughs> shout out to my thief this week be um, nice thieves it's yeah. possible you can do both that's lovely so thank you um, but turning now to the most important important game of the week possibly of the season depending on how critical these points are uh Arsenal Man United 3-2 
goal scorers, Toon, Marnham, Weinrother, Turner and Russo. And what a game it was. I mean, Arsenal's 100% start is over. No more records for you. I could not be happier. Um, I mean, the start of the game, Man United, I felt like they had total control of things. I felt that they came out in that game looking like they could win it. They had that belief, that mentality. And I know you're a massive fan of Emma, Emma Hayes' massive phrase, mentality monsters. And I feel like Man United totally encapsulated that. I mean, guys, what, what were your thoughts on, on the game? Tim, I'll throw to you first because obviously it's a... Yeah. It's a saucepan. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I think I think you're totally right. I think Manchester United deserved their win in the end, um, particularly in the first half. I think the kind of, I guess, the stat that sums up the game is United completed 84% of their passes, Arsenal 73%. And I think the story from an Arsenal perspective was that missing Leah Williamson and Kim Little was probably too much to take on a team like this. But I completely agree, particularly in the first half, United really took the ball by the horns and Honestly, my feeling was at half time was I thought that I was kind of glad it was only one nil. To be honest, you spoke about I think it was in either your tweet thread or or a blog about the kind of spine of the team that was missing. I don't know if you want to elaborate a bit on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, basically from February onwards, Arsenal in pretty much every WSL game had the same spine. So they had Leah Williamson actually in Lotta, Wobben Moy at centre half because Hafaieli was injured last year. Leo Valti, Kim Little, Vivian Miedema, they started 10 WSL games in a row together. All of a sudden, Viv's out the team, Leah's injured, Hafaieli's injured, and now Kim Little's injured as well. And I just think I always worried that when Arsenal played a good team, which I think we have to admit that United are, as much as I don't like that from an Arsenal perspective, um, I always worried that that would be a bit too much. And I really do think that that showed in quite a big way in this game. Yeah, I think they're turning back into injury FC, sadly. Um, I thought United set up really well. Um, definitely giving them credit for that. But equally, I just thought Arsenal were flat. Um, they didn't look particularly creative, particularly threatening in the first half. They were caught out of position a couple of times. Um, and like given both teams had numerous players away at international breaks, it showed for Arsenal. It didn't really show for Man United, which I thought was really impressive. And maybe actually playing away from home kind of took the pressure off United. Mm -hmm. You know, they knew they were coming to Arsenal's home. They knew it was going to be a big game in front of a big crowd. But that's almost more pressure on Arsenal than them. And they kind of played with a little bit more freedom. Um, second half was much better. In ter- I mean, I, I didn't think the first half was brilliant in general. I thought it was a bit boring, to be totally honest. But the second half was brilliant. Really exciting. End to end. Um, and I thought again, United were the better team. The 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 goals they they scored right towards the end. Um, Millie Turner, Alessia Russo, again set pieces. Arsenal coming undone into set pieces. Um, but yeah, better possession, better shots creation, better shots on target. Again, I think when Arsenal went two one up, had they had Kim Little, I think we'd have seen a lot of Kim Little mm-hmm. beating three players and passing back to one of our centre backs. Mm-hmm. But instead, what happened? The game stayed very frantic even when Arsenal went two one up. And like from an Arsenal perspective, that that was quite disappointing. We couldn't take the temperature down um, from the game. And again, that's like, I might as well just say Kim Little, Kim Little, Kim Little (laughs) for the next kind of five minutes. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, Tim. Um, (laughs) I mean, for me, I think it was, you know, I didn't really know what to expect in the opening minutes of the game. And I was so impressed with Man United's form. They were full of confidence. You know, within the first 15 minutes, you had a cracking strike from Golton being played in on two and forcing that, that save from Zinsberger, which is a great save. Uh, but sort of fairly, you know, straightforward, but but still a good save. And then I think it was 12 minutes in, we had that header from Myla Tizier, which just scraped over the, the top of the net. 
And I think then, I mean, that goal, I mean, it's just so beautiful. But we've got to point out that that Zinsberger error, to me, she looked very shaky for that entire game and getting that flappy hand to it. Yeah. She came out too early, came yeah. out too early, came over their heads. But not only Zinsberger, but when you look at the replay, I mean, no one was marking Toon. Yeah. No, no one was marking her. I mean, there was two players who were marking, uh, I can't even remember who it was now, I think maybe... Dalton uh, in the middle area, but no one had run back. I mean, Ford, Toon had run out in front of her and, and wasn't chasing back that run. So you can't be letting a player like that completely unopposed. Agreed. But I think for Zinsberger, if you're going to come for a ball like that, you cannot miss it because you just leave your back post like entirely open. And that's exactly where Ella Toon was sitting waiting. I mean, what are you expecting? Yeah. Before the game, I asked Jonas about because Arsenal keep conceding to Man United on set pieces, which obviously happened in this game as well. And he was talking about how good they are from crosses, how good they are from corners. And that's exactly how they caught Arsenal three times. And again, for Arsenal, I think Steph Catley's a really, really good defender, but they're having to play her at centre back. And one thing she isn't is aerially, aerially dominant because she's not a centre half. And neither Zinsberger, really, for all the improvements she's made. She's not an aerially dominant goalkeeper. And I think United really, uh, really capitalised on that on all three goals. I know, obviously, Chloe, you're, you're very happy, but Mark Skinner was very keen not to get carried away. Um, Why? I, <laughs> he said, you know, of course, he was he was very happy. And I think he demonstrated that through his dance moves on the sideline. Mm. Um, but he said, you know, it's a long season. He was he was very pragmatic, but I think they're allowed to enjoy this. They've they've beaten, you know, one of the big dogs at home at the Emirates. I think they have every right to enjoy that. But I understand him not wanting to get carried away. Massively. And I do agree with that. I mean, whilst I'm full of elation and the joys of spring, uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect game for Man United. There were lapses of concentration. I mean, you know, one of the first big ones obviously being within, you know, 30 seconds or so of the second half, allowing that goal to come back. And to me, I, I thought that that was going to be a bit of a changer. And that all of a sudden, you know, Arsenal were going to, they'd had a, a, you know, a kick up the arse maybe in the changing rooms. I'd have laid into them. This is not good enough. They'd come out and Marnham. I mean, I don't know whether that was going to go in anyway, but obviously I felt so sorry for Myla Tizier. Obviously take a deflection off of her, of her heel and straight in. There was nothing Erps could do. But I think that was when I started to see a shift in, in Arsenal's attitude and they did step up things for, it was probably about 15 or 20 minutes or so before the game then shifted backwards. And I think it was what I saw from Man United was that control. It didn't to me ever feel like, oh, because they've got that goal back that they then think, oh, this is just going to go into one place and we're going to end up with a 3-1 result or something like that. It was the absolute passion, diehard to the end. Those final 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, Tim, you were talking about the atmosphere. I mean, the crowd stepped it up. I mean, what was what was it like to be there in and around, you know, the flurry of attack from, from Man United in the dying minutes? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you get a big crowd um, at a WSL game, you know, it, it was quite sleepy to begin with, particularly because obviously it's largely a home crowd. Arsenal weren't giving the crowd a lot to go on at that point as well. Um, and you've got, you know, lots of people don't know the players, don't know songs and things like that. But I think the kind of seesaw nature of the game, the fact that it went, you know, 0-1, 2-1, 3-2, you know, really contributed to that. And when Arsenal went 2-1 up, I thought the place really came alive. But have to give big credit to the travelling Man United fans yeah. for that because they took, they filled that away end. And, you know, taking my Arsenal hat off, the sight of Alessia Russo sprinting towards a full away end for a stoppage time winner. I mean, it was a knife in my heart, but for the overall league, that is such an important image. Yeah, 100%. Um, And just having like a proper away end for the fans to spark off of one another, so, so important. That side for me was a knife in my heart, purely because I was sat on the other side of the goal, watching her run away from me and my camera. So it would have made a lovely shot, I'm sure, for whoever got it. 
I don't mean to be sat here smiling whilst you both talk about <laughs> knives in your hearts, but I just... <laughs> Mine's for <laughs> photography purposes. Have a bit of sympathy. I had nothing but joy in mine. I mean, Russo's face when she scored that that winning goal and it just, it took me right back to the Euros. Euros yes. And I was just like, it was the kind of the, the my heart palpitations. It was like, oh my God, they've gone and done it. But, you know, credit to, to Zimsberg as well, just in those final few minutes, because she obviously went from sort of villain to hero because it, it could have got a little bit shaky for, for Arsenal. We could have been looking at maybe you know, four, 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 uh, you know, four goals, and and if she hadn't saved those those two um, great chances at the mm. end, but yeah, it was just um, all round. Just I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm always in. I'm always in tears. Um, oh my god! Stop it. It was, no, but it was just such a momentous game. I think the significance of it we can't underestimate. Whilst I appreciate it's still early doors, and I know I'm saying I'm talking about the WSL title, and that's obviously in jest. But the significance of what that game meant, I think that to me seemed to transform an era of Man United going from in and around the fourth spot with the Champions League and people talking about that to talking about them being serious WSL title contenders because they'd taken down. Arsenal in a game that they weren't really expect. they probably were the, the slight underdogs yeah. going into that game plus you're at the Emirates plus Arsenal are on flying form and they've done it and I think that is where you're going to start to sit and the coming from coming from that draw situation as well you've obviously conceded the goal at half time I think that for me is a shift is a big seismic shift in their attitude and mentality about this season yeah that's what was missing from their game was was beating one of the you know in inverted commas top three mm-hmm I actually spoke to an Arsenal, uh, Man United fan before the game and I feel like they might be listening and they were convinced they were going to lose. They were convinced Man City were going to get third spot. Um, and I was like, no, I think, you know, you've got a big, big chance today. Like you're going to be a big challenge for Arsenal. And I think you can take City as well. I still maintain that I think Man United will get third this season. And um, I think they're very happy that I was right and they were wrong. So if you're listening, I'm glad that you're you're happy. Well, we will see how they get on, but I think that would have massively bolstered confidence. Um, I think we've also got a touch on uh, Beth Mead's injury. It looked quite serious. She looked very upset on the side of the pitch. Uh, We're still sort of waiting news, but have you guys heard any more on on sort of what what the the potential likely likely situation is? I mean, I'd say um, from an Arsenal and England perspective, uh, probably steal ourselves for bad news. Yeah. Um, particularly with the proximity to the World Cup, which is eight months away, you always worry. Um, and Chloe, you'll know this as a as a as a player. Um, former, when there's no player, one, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Dagger to the heart. Join us. All right, fair. All right. <laughs> but when there when it's not a contact injury, you know, when it's just she was hurdling off the pitch, and there's there's not actually any contact there. And I think you know the other thing from Arsenal's perspective is because they've got these injuries, Beth Mead and Caitlin Ford are having to play every minute of every game at the moment. And I mean, you'll never know for sure, but I wouldn't mind, or, or sorry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind betting that there was a bit of fatigue in maybe the way she landed there um, that, that possibly contributed to that. Yeah, they're the worst ones to see. You saw Pernilla Harder playing for Denmark, similarly kind of non-contact pulled up and, and has now had to go and have surgery on her hamstring. So got everything crossed for her, but I am worried. I think it's when I look back on it and I you know I watched it a few times, it's the planting of her yeah. foot and then the sort of inward shift of the knee. Um, and again, I mean, there's so much literature at the moment and so many articles coming out about the, the endemic um, of the MCL-ACL injury um, situation, which is something I think we're going to touch on uh, in one of our later podcasts uh, later on this year. So I won't go into too much detail about that, but obviously, Beth, from all of us at Upfront, wishing you the absolute best because, you know, we want to see you, but we hope it's nothing serious. We really do hope because um, we want to see you 
in that World Cup, I mean, we will probably be out in Australia. So, uh, you know, Beth Mead, if you can get yourselves out there, that would be, that'd be great. Well, I suppose we've got to also cover some other games, haven't we, really? <laughs> if we're going to be, you know, non-biased and, you know, provide an all-round um, commentary on these games, then Chelsea Tottenham. Chelsea taking away the points at Stamford Bridge. Uh, 3-0 Tottenham. It was Kirk, Cuthbert and Wrighton getting on the score sheet. Um, yeah, it was obviously, I mean, compared to the Arsenal-Man United game, obviously I'm, I'm no one biased, but it wasn't, we were expecting this scoreline. I felt that we were expecting this scoreline. I don't think this is a big um, upset for anyone. Um, it was a game that I thought had gone exactly how we kind of expected it to be with Chelsea taking a large part of the um, the possession, a large part of the control. Um, but guys, what, what were your thoughts, Tim? Yeah, I you know, we're talking about Manchester United trying to bridge that gap into the top three. And obviously you've got Tottenham, you know, coming from further behind, certainly the Manchester United trying to come into that conversation. And, you know, there's always the question about whether they score enough goals, but also in these pictures, we saw them go to Arsenal, very similar game, very similar result. And you can just see that that gap still exists really between them and, and the top three. And, you know, Chelsea had this one done by half time. The second half was pretty much a non-event um, overall. So, yeah, I, I think if you're Tottenham, you're probably looking at the fact that the gap isn't really closing. Um, and in fact, maybe you're looking over your shoulder at teams like Aston Villa, um, kind of coming into that that WSL middle class, as it were, um, probably closer to Tottenham than Tottenham are to the top four at the moment. Oh, I love that. WSL middle class. <laughs> That's a much nicer way of putting it. Um, I think because Spurs overachieved last season, we kind of expect more from them. Um, and I think the Spurs of last season might have, I mean, they they would probably would have put up a bit more of a fight, I think. Um, but the Spurs of this season, I just didn't feel like are in the right place to to kind of really challenge Chelsea, um, especially now that Chelsea are kind of getting into their groove now. They're putting behind them that that first defeat of the season right at the beginning and they're kind of gaining momentum. Um, and they're also demonstrating their depth to lose someone like Pernilla Harder, who's been a huge part of this this team this season um, and be able to put in Jesse Fleming and, and, and still dominate. Um, it just exemplifies their their depth. But yeah, I mean, no huge surprises. Um, multiple goal scorers as well, which is always good, um, especially going into a Champions League week as well. So there'll be lots of confidence in that squad. And to top it all off, Emma Hayes returns returns to Stamford Bridge and returns to uh, a winning dominant display. So she'd have loved that. God. I was I was going to say as well, like uh, Lauren James, probably a big win. I mean, she was injured most of last season, but probably a big winner from the fact that Kirby and Harder um, both injured to different degrees at the moment and obviously it shows Chelsea's depth but there's really the platform for her to make this her season as well and I, I think we're seeing the way she won that penalty in the first half was just Lauren James all over just dribbling through tight spaces wasn't a pen but yeah <laughs> oh alright controversial well it's hard to actually see the contact from Ash Neville but Lauren James then trips over her own feet and whether Neville did clip her or not both of those actions happened outside the box so Mm, I, I think the ref, the angle that the ref had, I can sure. see why she gave yeah, it no, no, no. as a pen. I, yeah, I think I would feel obviously the same way as Ash Neville. But I mean, Lauren James has done the right thing and gone down. Yeah, no. 100%. But it was and outside also, the box. 
it didn't make a blind bit of difference by that point. It was it was fine. Um, but yeah, I've got to agree. I think there is a stark difference between where Chelsea are at and where Tottenham are. And I think a large part of that does come down to the squad depth. I mean, with Tottenham, I think they are heavily reliant on a couple of players. You know, Neville has been obviously key for them this year. Drew Spence, I thought, had a fairly good game, sort of creating what their only real chance on, on Sunday. Um, but I'm not. they're not a team that I'm particularly excited about this year. And I think... I, it will be interesting to see what they do in the next sort of transfer window or coming into the recruitments, uh, the recruitment um, couple of months over over in summer because I think they will need to spend big, uh, like the top three, like the top four, to to keep themselves in the running for you know for growth. Especially given the injuries they have, they're missing Kaya Simon, they're still missing Kit Graham. Like they are key players to that mm-hmm. front line for them, um, and it's just it's teams going to exploit that. Yeah, they're they're looking for that big attacker. I think again, a lot of those middle teams in the WSL are doing this and you look at Villa look like they found it with Rachel Daly we saw the impact Shanice van der Sanden had uh, coming on for Liverpool as well Tottenham I think are looking for that player they're looking for that attacker who can just kind of create something out of nothing I wouldn't be surprised if we see some loan deals in the January transfer window especially in the lead up to the World Cup do you reckon yeah I think god forbid if Beth Mead does miss it there's an opening there for for potential players to be called up and and you know, attackers need minutes, attackers need form and they need to be getting, playing week in, week out and scoring goals. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some some loan deals. Well, I'll tell you who's not going anywhere. It's Cuthbert. Just signed a new... <laughs> that was like lovely. That? that was so good. Um, she obviously scored an absolute worldie of a volley. I felt sorry for Capella because it, it from the trajectory of the ball, it looked like she had it, but yes. it swerved last minute into the top right corner. So even though it looks like an easy save, it completely caught her off guard. And I, I do not think that is an, her error at all. Um, but yeah, she's just signed a new deal this week. Obviously, I mean, I think she's absolutely critical to, to Chelsea. But what what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, Rage. she's key. Um, it's great when she gets goals as well because, you know, she'll get the plaudits then and, and she deserves all the plaudits because I know we've said this before, but she does do the dirty work in midfield for Chelsea. She puts in the tackles, she puts her body on the line, tracks back really well. Um, so when she starts getting those belters, it's just, it's for me, what she deserves. Um, and the fact that she's adding more goals to her game this season is uh, is good for Chelsea because we've talked about them not converting enough chances. So if you've got your midfielders converting chances as well, it's it's just you know, more ammunition, I suppose. The thing I always find fascinating about Erin Cuthbert is wherever Chelsea have a slight gap, Emma Hayes just plugs her into it somehow. So like we've seen her play right wing back. We've seen her now getting remodelled as this kind of defensive midfielder. They wanted uh, Guerrero, uh, the French player this summer, didn't get her. So Emma Hayes has kind of said, OK, we'll just play Erin Cuthbert there and she'll become this kind of uh, defensive midfielder for us. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to see where she plays next season, actually. Well, what a time to have an incredibly important, beautiful goal. Uh, The return of Emma Hayes, the return of the legend. Uh, Back to Stamford Bridge as well. Cuthbert obviously scoring that goal in front of, you know, her manager. I mean, what better way to say welcome back, Emma? Um, But yeah, I mean, there was a lovely, lovely moment in the post-match with Emma where she took a phone call from uh, Sam, who told her to hurry up because she was hungry, um, which I thought was... Why does she need Emma Hayes to eat? I didn't really understand the context of that. Maybe that's a Chelsea thing. Maybe it's like we can't eat if the boss isn't here. And to be fair, I suppose maybe they had they had a celebration to welcome her coming back. And I suppose they probably didn't want to eat without, you know, the big dog there. You know, I wouldn't. That That's sweet. I, I was going to say as well, I think the fact now that Chelsea are in the lead, I know they have an extra game on, on uh, Arsenal and United. I just think Chelsea do so much better when they're leading the pack rather than chasing. And I, we touched on it there, their mentality. I think for them to then have it in their hands is a much better place to be for them 
Um, so it's just the whole result that we talked about right at the beginning, United Arsenal, has just thrown the whole title race wide open. Well, what a lovely time for her to come back at the top of the league. Uh, she said that it just felt like she was going back to her family, her family who were doing really bloody well for themselves in her absence. Um, and also in front of a, a massive, massive crowd. Uh, obviously, we touched before on you know Arsenal Man United having a massive crowd, 40,000 spectators at the Emirates. Uh, we then had 38,300 fans at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I mean, Tim, how have your experiences of sort of the big Emirates games going, you know, going to these games where there are so many, um, you know, fans and supporters there at the moment? Yeah, absolutely huge. Like I never, even again, looking at like Arsenal Spurs in May, you got about, I think, 13,000. And then in September, it gets 47,000. So obviously that shows you the multiplier effect of the Euros. But I just never, never, like I've been covering Arsenal women as a journalist for over a decade, I never, even a year ago, would have imagined like getting these kind of numbers and regularly as well. And it's not, you know, getting it in September straight after the Euros is one thing, but we're deep into November now and it's still happening. And uh, I, I just think it's it's absolutely fantastic. And um, I think really, for me, the next big step in women's football is to get like a more engaged crowd. So like, a bit more intensity in the crowd, people who know the players, who are invested in every decision, every goal. I, I think that's like the next thing. And actually that's going to take a little while to develop. But um, this is this is such a jump start for it, I think. I think, to be fair, I think they're leading the way in terms of marketing. Um, I think they have a really clear plan, uh, which you can see from their desire to play at the Emirates so regularly. It increases year on year as well, which I think is great. So I think it's, what, three games this year plus all the Champions League games, however many they end up getting, which is great. Um, and they've spoken on how they're working towards obviously playing ultimately all their games there, which is what they want. And I think they're doing well to obviously capitalise on the Euros, as you touched on, um, and they're getting much better crowds than last season. I think the the area that needs to be focused on is then those midweek games, because that tends to be the difficulty um, in terms of crowd numbers. But yeah, I think it's it's brilliant that they're consistently getting high numbers. And, you know, we're seeing more teams playing at their main stadium. It's seeing the numbers now that I think will be be the next step as well. Yeah, Chelsea don't usually play at Stamford Bridge either. I know they've had this thing about, because they bought Kings Meadow and it is actually theirs, about concentrating on making that their home. But I think there's almost this kind of, no, we, we've got to do this because we can sell 38,000 tickets, so we should try and do that so it's it's a little bit of a shit Arsenal have been on this road for a, a year or two but it's almost a bit of a shift for Chelsea to do this and we touched on there the quantity of fans coming to these games um you know shifting the focus now to you know the quality of fans I suppose coming to the games I think you know Mark Skinner's comments this weekend that he was calling for brains on seats not just bums on seats which are uh, a very funny turn of phrase <laughs> <laughs> almost insisting that women's fans are sort of or the people that come to the women's games uh, we want these kind of intelligent really hybrid excellent individuals highbrow um, yes <laughs> the highbrow not hybrid uh, <laughs> not electric human beings coming to the games <laughs> Um, but I think um, that that's the thing. I think you know, Rachel, we'll be talking about this in uh, you know in our pre our pre pod discussion, which we need um, to start recording, by the way. Which was some excellent insights that we won't share with you now. Obviously, we'll keep us completely private. We've used up all the good stuff. This is just the this is the drebs, the drebs and the drags. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were talking about the the types of fans that are coming to the games. I think 
you know, initially, you know, as we were starting to grow the numbers, a lot of the focus was around, you know, bringing families and making a, a fun day out for the family, you know, giving away lots of free tickets to schools, young kids, you know, get your family there for 20 quid all in, that type of thing. But I think, you know, Mark Skinner's basically saying that it needs to attract more dedicated fans other than the kind of casual types. We need to see, you know, committed, passionate fans attending these games um you know what, what do we think of those comments i i don't think those two types of fans are mutually exclusive i think you can have both um i think for a long time the game was very much angled at the family and the fun day out side of things um i think we're seeing a change and a shift in that even in the way you know the, the physical marketing is done it's no longer pinks and purples and and all that kind of stuff like we're getting players making tackles or looking physical or shouting in a in a mar- piece of marketing which i think is an important shift um, but yeah, like your bread and butter fan for me should be the football fan. Um, and I think we need to tap into that a bit more. But as I said, it doesn't mean you can't then attract families. But for me, the women's game deserves to be followed by by football fans. And yes, those kids will be fans of the future. Um, but in terms of, you know, making noise and making atmosphere and singing fan songs and players songs and stuff like that. Yeah, I think we need football fans and we're seeing that. We're see- You know, we touched on the Man United fans, um, away fans, like that's definitely growing. Um, and we're we're getting some great songs from from many different grounds. Um, but it's just yeah, ex- expanding on that, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I guess it's about turning those casual fans into your committed fans as well. It's interesting. I know Aston Villa got some blowback recently because they're playing a game at Villa Park, and they had this big promotional around meeting Peppa Pig. Um, meeting Peppa Pig. Yeah, yeah, and the highlight of the day. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, and I kind of feel like on one hand, I there's a place for that I think in terms of you want to keep that like that family friendly but at the same time like I look at I looked at some of the promotions Chelsea were doing like Chelsea did a few bits and pieces like that but they had drinks promotions as well or you know obviously they've got lots of trophies to flaunt so you can have your picture with trophies and they renamed some of their food stuffs for the day so you could that buy is like so bold come and have a come and have a photo of our thousands of trophies that we've won <laughs> that is brazen but they had like the Sam Kerbab um, love that. The, oh, love the, that. The, Anne, the Anne Catherine burger um, oh, as well, which easy win. Just exactly, just like little touches like that, um, you know. And, and I know Villa got a lot of blowback for the kind of okay, so Peppa Pig's going to be there, but what about for people who are like more than eight years old, kind of thing? This is it. Like, and marketing does allow you to diversify your targeting, so you can target your family groups and whatever with your Peppa Pig stuff, but your main bread and butter should be around the football and, and those kind of trophy stuff and whatever else. Um, but I think I think in the past we've been a bit one-dimensional with our targeting and marketing and I think we need to be more multifaceted and, and be targeting more demographics. And what do we think then, just like briefly on that point, about, you know, Emma Hayes touched on, you know, I think a lot of the tickets are being given away for free or they're being sold as, you know, very, very cheaply still. I mean, you can get a ticket to, you know, a Chelsea or Arsenal game, I think, for still about 10, 12, 13 quid. I mean, the quality of the players... You'd, I mean, the men's team is obviously, I think it's a little bit of a joke, the, the tickets they've got. I mean, you know, going for 60, 70 quid on a, on a weekly basis. But do you think now the quality of the football is so much so that we should be looking to increase prices and really value the product as it is? I think we should put a value on the game. I also think it needs to be affordable. So they have to strike a balance between those two things. But I think if it's so affordable that if it's raining, you don't bother going, then it's too cheap. So for me, there needs to be enough of a value that you retain the fan rain hail or shine yeah I, I think England have done a good job of this actually with the USA uh, friendly and the the Brazil game as well where I think they've priced it like as a 
I mean, maybe not premium in terms of Wembley because you go to the FA Cup final, mm. it costs you over 100 quid, the men's FA Cup final. But, you know, bringing that price up, but also creating that demand. Like, I actually think it was a stroke of genius when they put the USA tickets on. So, like, it was announced and it's like they're on sale tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And creating that surge and creating that kind of, oh, my God, I've got to get my tickets. And, like, I... I I really actually quite like what the FA have done um, in particular with some of that. There's definitely a lot of work going on behind the scenes. And I think one of the most, I mean, it doesn't sound in, ingenious, but it's, I think, what is a really good idea is to obviously categorise the, the games themselves. So, you know, the Arsenal-Chelsea fixture demands, you know, a £20, £30 t- ticket. But whereas, you know, an Arsenal and a Conti Cup against, you know, Blackburn maybe is, you know, a 10, 15 quid ticket because it's, it's, it's obviously going to be a lot, a lot more hard to sell. Um, so maybe that's what we'll start to see sort of happening more and more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. All right, elsewhere, uh, the Brighton game. Rach, you were there. What were your thoughts? What, what, what went down? I, I was. I feel like we're getting to a point now that any time one of GOTB go to Brighton, um, mm. it turns into a chaotic game, and that's exactly what I got. Carnage. Yeah, Brighton against Liverpool. Liverpool took the early lead through Missy Bowkerns, through open play as well, which um, Matt Beard is very happy about. Uh, and Brighton kind of came back almost immediately through Trollsguard. Um, and then got another two in the um, in the first half to go in 3-1. So it looked to be another kind of goal-filled match. Uh, and then Liverpool came came out and in the last like 20 minutes scored two more goals through two substitutions, brought on Shanice van der Sanden and Rachel Furness and both of them scoring. Rachel Furness scoring in like 90 plus minutes. And I swear if there'd been an extra five minutes in that game, they probably would have scored another one. Um, and if you ask Matt Beard, they should have been given a penalty. So the game just got more and more intense as it went on and the rain came and just got heavier and heavier and it just kind of added to the atmosphere and the fans got really into it. There was a great pocket of Liverpool fans and the Brighton fans were singing. They have a band now. The whole game was just got like bands. intense. There was a little band in the corner. Honestly, it was, yeah, it was a, it was intense and um, it ended a draw, the first draw of the WSL this season, which is bonkers. Um, the first draw? That was the first draw of the WSL this season, yeah. But so many games have been played. What the hell? I know, and I'm not sure either manager were too happy to have that mantle. But uh, yeah, that's what it was. I don't think either manager, obviously neither manager particularly happy, despite Liverpool coming back from 3-1 down. I do think Matt Beard felt that they gave enough in the second half to actually go on to win it. And I, he was very annoyed about the the penalty shout. Um Liverpool also had a penalty against them, which he was annoyed with. He felt like Jazz Matthews had her hands, you know, there's nothing she could do. So from that perspective, Matt Beard was annoyed. Um, Amy Merrick's, on the other hand, was annoyed that they'd obviously given away that 3-1 lead. 
um, despite now being able to score loads of goals, which I don't think we really thought Brighton were one of those teams that could score loads of goals, but suddenly here we are. Um, they also could seem to concede a lot. <laughs> and, uh, that's their biggest issue is, is making themselves harder to beat. I mean, for me, I think, I mean, that was a critical point in the game, obviously bringing on Furness and, and Shanice van der Sanden. Uh, I mean, obviously she made an absolutely massive impact. Uh, only played three WSL games uh, this season, but obviously going to be absolutely key to, to Liverpool staying up. Well, I mean, what, what are your chances, do you think, for Liverpool? Do you think we're going to, do you think they're safe or do you think we're, we're still, they're still on the edge? I, I think they'll be safe just because Leicester, um, to me, I, I, I think it will be between Leicester and Reading. Um, that last relegation place. I think Van der Sanden, I think you've seen how much Liverpool missed her um, for the first couple of months when she was injured. And I feel like um, maybe we slept on that signing a little bit, maybe because she's been there before. But now, obviously, her career's probably not going where she wants it to mm. go. She's been at Lyon, she's been at Wolfsburg, she's not in the Netherlands squad anymore. But I think for Liverpool, for a newly promoted team, that is a massive, massive capture. And she, uh, we've seen in her past... and. She's not over the hill age-wise or anything like that. Like We've seen what an electric player she can be at the highest level. And I think for a club near the bottom of the WSL, that's such a key signing. It, it's got Rachel Daly vibes to me, actually. Yeah, she's fast. She's dynamic. She scores goals. She has an incredible mentality. So during that game, she was on my side. I was pitch side shooting and she was on my side and, and she was shouting like, Every throw in, she was like, focus, focus, next one, onto the next one, let's go. She was straight in the net to get the ball and get the ball on the halfway line. Her mentality is huge. And I think for a young new squad back into the WSL, players like that are, are key. Um, and the reason that we haven't seen her that much is because she's been injured, as you said, Tim. So to come on as a sub and have that kind of impact, she assisted and scored in 20 minutes. That's not bad. Not so, bad. I think yeah. her and like uh, Katie Stengel as well, if you're talking about mentality, uh, and a bit of attacking punch as well. I, th I think that's going to be a really good combination yeah. for them. I mean, you were talking there about, you know, perspective, Leicester, Reading, uh, you know, going to be in the relegation battle. I mean, didn't bode well for them uh, this Sunday, obviously uh, securing another defeat uh, to, to Villa uh, 3-1. Obviously, Rachel Daly was absolutely key to that. She's been absolutely fantastic on flying goal scoring form. Um, but yeah, what were, your thoughts, what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, Reading are another team who I think are just looking for that transformational attacker. They tried Dan Carter, they tried, they signed Natasha Dowie and that hasn't really worked for them. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the thing is, this relegation battle I think is going to be very similar to ones we've seen in previous seasons in that it will be decided by the results between Reading and Leicester. So Reading kind of a few weeks ago getting those two stoppage time goals against Leicester, who by the way have a real habit of conceding stoppage time uh, winners um, I think that that's just going to be so so big but d like definitely I've just had this feeling about Reading for a while their squad's getting smaller um, you know they're regularly having like four or five substitutes I know the men's side is certainly in a bit of financial trouble it it does feel a little bit ominous for me I think they'll be all right this season because Leicester will go down but I wonder how much longer Reading will be in the WSL after that it shows the importance of depth and Reading kind of really hung their hat in that Deanne Rose signing. She was she could have really done wonders for them this season, but to get injured in the first half of the first game of the season and she's out now for a good few months, she did her Achilles, um, was a massive body blow for Reading because it just didn't have the depth to kind of replace her like for like. Um, and we're seeing that. I mean, players are stepping up. They are getting goals from further around the field, but... Um, when you're coming up against an Aston Villa and an in-form Rachel Daly, 
Um, you need to not only be scoring, but you need to be tight at the back. And and we've been so used to seeing Reading start poorly. They're now starting well and, and finishing poorly. So that's something they need to, to look at. But yeah, I mean, Rachel Daly, insane form. I think probably a bit lucky to be given that hat-trick because I think that second goal was an own goal. Um, in fact, Aston Villa weren't even... You would think Aston Villa would be raving about the fact that Rachel Daly got a hat trick. They, <laughs> they didn't even say it. No but one whatever. said anything. She's, you know, in incredible form. Um, I spoke to her after the England game last week and asked her about that. I was like, so many people dream of playing in the in their position for their country, and you're out here doing it in two positions, both ends of the pitch, and doing it really, really well. Um, and she obviously said that she would play wherever she's put. You know, very diplomatic answer. But she also spoke about the amount of work that goes into being able to do that. It's not just a case of turning up and, and playing that position. Give she it a go. She has to like, her like mentally, she has to be so switched on in terms of tactics and it's a complete shift of, of focus when you're playing in an entirely different, you know, end of the pitch and you've got completely different expectations on you. So we kind of have to, I think we kind of take for granted how good she is at both ends of the pitch, but it does take an awful lot of work. All right. Well, gang... Another massive, massive week for football lining up this week. We've got the Champions League returning. Chelsea host Real Madrid tomorrow night, whilst Arsenal head to Juventus on Thursday. I mean, how do we expect them to get on? It's a really, really crucial. It's a doubleheader, um, this. So Arsenal uh, play Juventus at home in a couple of weeks. Juve not going brilliantly in Syria at the moment. They're chasing at the top. They only just beat Palmer at the weekend. Obviously brings them face-to-face with their former manager, Joe Montemoro, again. Um, Love but- that. <laughs> the Montemoro derby. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so looking forward to getting out there um, for the game on Thursday. But just, I feel like this is probably the pivotal game in the group for Arsenal. Now they've got Leon away, out of the way, and kind of um, got that victory. Like, a lot is going to be decided in the group over these two Arsenal-Juve games. And obviously this being the away game. If Arsenal even come away with a point, I think that would probably be a decent result given everything else that's happened and Juve drew with Leon last time out. So Arsenal got a little bit of latitude there. But basically if Arsenal win, I, they're very, very close to qualified already, which would be incredible. Are you a little bit more fearful now there's a suspected injury with Mead? Do you think that's yeah. going to have a big impact on things? Yeah, yeah, because uh, Lena Hurtig's um, injured as well. So Arsenal would have to, re- I think they'd have to play Noel Maritz at left back and Katie McCabe on the left wing and move forward. Like it, there's a lot of moving of bodies um, the substitute for Beth Mead on Saturday was Michelle Ajimang, who's 17 years old. So Arsenal are lacking a bit of depth there. I wouldn't mind betting that in January they'll recall Gio from Everton, um, maybe to make up for that Beth Mead injury as well as making a signing. But in the short term, I think that's definitely a concern for Arsenal, yes. I think one of the positives that Arsenal have is their versatility of players. I asked Idevel about this at the weekend because, you know, they've got so many players who can play in multiple positions, not only when there's injuries, but also on the pitch. You know, you don't necessarily have to change formation, but you can kind of change players, which is quite beneficial. I mean, I still think, I'm still worried for them. I feel like this is the best time for Juventus to play Arsenal. Mm. Um, And I think these are big tests now for Chelsea and Arsenal to kind of back up how they got on in that first um, first kind of game week of the Champions League when they pulled off some big wins. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm worried now for Arsenal given all their injuries. Um, we'll see how they go. I mean, last season, the wheels kind of came off with uh, an injury late in November and, and things kind of got shaky after that. So I hope we don't have a repeat of that. And I hope both Chelsea and Arsenal can 
go on to to pick up points here because they are big games for both teams. I think that's I have exactly the same concerns as you is that whilst Arsenal do have the squad depth, they are significantly weakened by the amount and quantity of injuries that they've got. And I think that will be in their mindset and also now coming off the back of a game they probably should have won with Man United. So I I I don't think this is going to go well for them. And the amount of games they then have to play, like so we've got Champions League, then we have a game of the weekend. We don't have Champions League next week, which is unusual. Normally we have them in two weeks. But when we get to December, they have like three weeks where they play Champions League midweek. That's a lot of football. And with a, you know, it's one thing being able to move players around and put out a good 11, but you don't then have the depth anymore on the bench that we would be used to having because there's so many injuries. So which leads to overloading of players, which again leads to injuries. It's a reoccurring vicious little cycle, this. Um, so yeah, concerns for Arsenal. Um, another great tie, Barcelona uh, Bayern on Thursday. So lots of massive... I think massive. they've sold over 50,000 tickets for that already. So that's exciting. Really? Yeah, at Camp News. So Jeez. Game. I mean, we touched a little bit on the attendances, but that is wild. And Bayern's uh, last game was very chaotic as well against Benfica. Um they scored twice in the last minute in that game. I think so, yeah. Yeah. George yeah. Samway? Yeah. Doing bits. That's exactly what we want. More carnage. Thank Love you. That. Coming up, we'll obviously cover it, obviously. Uh, right, gang, time for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. And Tim is at Stillmanator. Go on, Tim. Love that. We will see you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 